All right, now this morning we're going to be in John chapter 16. And while you're grabbing your Bibles and you're flipping over there to John chapter 16, let me tell you about a story that I read. It's about Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. Washington was a a man who championed black education in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And his life and his story is a great example, a fantastic example of how God can take a difficult situation and turn it around for our advantage. Dr. Washington had been given a $2,000 grant to start the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. Now, $2,000 in today's money, that would be about $55,000, and I'm sure we can agree that's not really enough to start a college, and he knew that it wasn't going to be enough. So the question came up, how was he going to raise more money? How was he going to meet the right people to to be able to, to bring the money in to really turn this university into what he dreamed that it would be? And being a man of faith and a man of prayer, he took it to God. Now, not long after he moved to Alabama and they were starting the university, he was walking through the town one day and just happened to be passing a house and a lady came up to him and asked him if he would like to make some money chopping some wood for her. And he thought, I don't really have any pressing issues going on right now, and maybe some some manual labor would help relieve some of this stress that I'm feeling. So he agreed to do it. He rolled up his sleeves, and he began chopping the wood, and it didn't take him too long. And he gathered it up, and he took it into the house, and he stacked it very neatly next to her fireplace. And she thanked him, she paid him, and, and he went on his way. Now, there was a a girl that was working in the house, and she recognized Dr. Washington, and she went to the lady and said, do you realize that 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 was Booker T. Washington, the man that is starting the, the school for the black students here in town? And the lady was intrigued. So the next day, she went out to where they had started the school, and she found Dr. Washington, and she just wanted to hear his heart. And he shared his dreams for educating black students. And she was so moved by his humility and by his passion for education that it wasn't too long before she started encouraging her wealthy friends to follow her example and, begive, and be, they began to give thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. Now, I don't know if this story is completely true. I read it online in, in the notes of, of a minister. It may be true. It may be an amalgamation of stories. But I thought it was a really, really good example for the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Something that is true was the situation that Booker T. Washington was in. And from everything I've read about him, he was a humble yet a passionate man about educating black students. But the one thing that is without doubt true was he was a man of prayer And he was a man of faith. And whether the story is true or not, it illustrates truth. The truth that God can take a situation that seems absolutely overwhelming and turn it 
for the advantage of his children. God is very good at doing that. We're in a lesson series called Before I Go. It's about the, the, the last hours that Jesus spent with his disciples before he was arrested and before he went to the cross. And this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 16 and the title of the message is The Jesus Advantage. So in John chapter 16, starting in verse 6, it says, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. You see, Jesus was leaving. He was telling the disciples, I'm going somewhere, and where I'm going, you cannot follow. And they didn't understand this yet. They had been following him for three and a half years. Everywhere he went, they went. But where he was going now, they could not go. Because he was going to give his life. He was going to the cross to be the, the sacrifice for our sin. And they could not go where he was going. Even if one had followed him, even if they had, they had crucified one of the disciples with him, that disciple's death would not have purchased anything. Only the death of Jesus, the sinless death of Jesus, purchased salvation for us. So he was telling them, where I'm going, you can't go. So now they're full of sorrow. But he told them, it's to your advantage that I go. So how in the world could it be to our advantage that Jesus left? And I want to show you three ways this morning that there is advantage to Jesus Leaving, And I know that sounds even crazy to, to, to think about it that way, but there's advantages to Jesus leaving. And here's the first advantage. The first advantage is love. John 6, 7 again. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus knew that if he didn't die and restore the relationship between God and man, the Holy Spirit couldn't come. And Jesus loved humanity enough to make that sacrifice. So what is the advantages to us for the Holy Spirit coming? If Jesus is leaving, he says, I've got to go. But when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Why is it better for us that the Holy Spirit come? And Jesus answers that question. In verse 8, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The word convict there can really be translated to convince. I know when we hear the word convict, we think of a judge that's sitting up there with a gavel and he's pronouncing judgment on somebody. And I know the world even thinks of God that way. But that is not the picture of who our God is. He's not here just to convict. He's not here just to pass judgment. He's here to convince. And the first thing that it says in verse 9 is, 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit has come to convince them, convince the world because they do not believe in him. In other words, we have to be convinced that we're sinners. The world had to be convinced that they were sinners. You cannot come into a relationship with Jesus unless you've been convinced that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a savior. So the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convince them because they don't believe, convince them of their need for a savior. But then it goes on to say in verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. Jesus went to the Father. He's no longer here. He's no longer walking day by day in the flesh with the disciples and and showing them how to live a righteous life. Now that's the Holy Spirit's job. And I want you to see and understand this, that it, it says they, when he's talking about unbelievers, but you, when he's talking about believers, they, the Holy Spirit has come to convict of sin, convince of sin because they do not believe. But he's come to, to convince of righteousness, righteousness, and then he says you, it becomes very, very personal. Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit has already convinced believers that they were sinners. He's already convinced them that they needed a Savior. And we come into this relationship with Jesus at that point of being convinced of our sin and our need of a Savior. But now that we are believers, he's no longer convincing us of sin. We've already been convinced of that. Now he's convincing us of righteousness. The Bible tells us that we are now the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So now he's convincing us of righteousness. And you need to understand that all of this, when the Holy Spirit is convicting someone who does not know Jesus of sin, it's by love. And when he's convicting us or convincing us of righteousness, it's by love. I spent a lot of my life thinking that conviction, that, that condemnation was conviction. Even though I had come into a relationship with Jesus just before my 20th birthday, I spent a lot of time after that being convinced that condemnation was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I had a temper, and I would lose my temper And I would be so angry, and then I would feel like such a rotten person. And that thing would come to me and say, oh, you blew it. You messed it up. Look what you've done. You've made such a mess of everything. That was not the Holy Spirit. I thought that was the Holy Spirit telling me what a sorry person I was. But that was condemnation coming from the enemy because it came along with things like, well, you're just never going to get any better. You just might as well give up because you can't get over this. Or this is just who you are. But as I pressed into a relationship with God, I began to, I began to recognize that there was another voice there. And that voice would come along and say, that's not who you are. 
That voice would say, you're no longer this this hurt and broken and rejected person that acts like that. That's not who you are. This voice would say that you're a new creation through Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. That's the old you. And I begin to recognize the love of God drawing me to him. Because when I was listening to condemnation, it would push me from God. I would hide from God. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to hear from him because I thought he was mad at me. But when I recognized that, that the, Holy was, the Holy Spirit was convincing me, convincing me of righteousness, I ran to God because that's what the love of God does. It draws us to him. It doesn't push us away. And verse 11 says, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit is now convincing us of Satan's defeat and our victory. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he shows us the truth. Verse 13 here in John 16 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, I want you to listen to that same scripture out of the Passion Translation. It says, but when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak his own message but, he on, but only what he hears from the Father. And he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. The spirit of truth reveals truth to us. And we need to be ready to hear that truth. And we need to understand that the primary way that, that we find the truth of God is in his word. We need to be people of the word. It's not that we worship this book. We worship the God of this book. But in this book, God reveals his character. He reveals his nature. He reveals his love. So we need to be people of the word. Because if we're not, people can take little bits and chunks out of it and they can lead us astray. Because you can make this say just about anything that you want it to. But when you're a person of the word and you know the character of God and you know the counsel of God and you're following after what he says, the Holy Spirit will lead you into truth in the word. So we need to engage in the word. Mark Twain said, a man who does not read books has no advantage over the man who can't read them. A man who does not read books has no advantage over a man who cannot read them. A man that owns a Bible yet does not connect with the Holy Spirit to draw truth out of it has no advantage over somebody that does not have a Bible. We have the Word of God, and we need to be engaging with the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit also gives us direction, truth and direction. The Holy Spirit will guide us, as the Scripture says, and he'll even tell us, what is coming? I heard a story about a college, a college cross-country track meet's what it was. 
And there was 128 runners in this meet. And of those 128 runners, 123 of them missed a turn on the track, even though somebody had stopped and started shouting, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. Yet 123 of them continued to follow the wrong direction. We don't want to be like that. The Holy Spirit is here to to give us direction. And we don't want to be following the crowd just because that's the way the crowd is going. We don't want to just be following church people because that's where church people are going. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. We need to hear from the Spirit of God. The Scripture says that He will even speak to us prophetically and give us direction. But we need to hear. If we listen to the Holy Spirit... He'll never lead us wrong. But we don't always listen, do we? Jesus appeared, as the Bible tells us, to over 500 people after his resurrection. Yet there was only 120 people in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came. Where are those other 380 people? Where did they go? I don't know. Maybe they just decided not to show up for church that day. Maybe they had something that they thought was more important. Maybe it was a pretty day and they were out in their boat on on Lake Palestine. I don't know. But 380 people missed the falling of the Holy Spirit. And only 120 got the full direction from God. So what's the second advantage of Jesus leaving? Second one is joy. First one was love. This one is joy. John 16, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Your grief will be turned into joy. We need to understand the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness can be affected by situations, but joy is a product of a relationship with God. Happiness is important. It's not that God doesn't want us happy, but we need to understand that happiness is not as important as holiness. Job 5 tells us, behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. In other words, God's discipline, God's lovingly convincing us of righteousness, that'll make us happy. And for some reason, we think that that bigger bank accounts will make us happy. Happiness truly is a state of being at rest in our mind and emotions. That's happiness. But joy is a gift from God. Isaiah 61 says that God gives us the oil of joy for mourning. The oil, the oil poured over our heads like the anointing oil. The oil of joy for mourning, for weeping, for sadness. Psalms 30 says, weeping may last for the night, but joy 
comes in the morning. And the Bible even speaks of Jesus. In Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus saw beyond the pain of the situation. He saw beyond the turmoil of the cross, and he saw the joy that was set before him. He saw the joy of fulfilling what his father had sent him to do. He saw the joy of many brothers and sisters being brought into the kingdom. Answered prayer also produces joy. As it says here in verse 23, starting in the second part of the verse there, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. So that your joy may be full. God wants to answer prayer. But these are the kind of prayers that God answers. Prayers that are led by the Holy Spirit in truth. Prayers that are prayed from a place of righteousness not a place of sin consciousness. Prayers that glorify the name of Jesus. These prayers are answered so that your joy may be full. Someone once said that joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. Let me read that again. Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. And if you don't understand that illustration, let me, let me show it to you this way. In England, when the queen is at the castle, now she has several castles. When, she, when she's at Buckingham Palace, her flag is flying there. Everybody knows the queen is in the castle. And when she's at Windsor Castle, the flag is flying there. So wherever she happens to be, her flag will be flying there. So the, the quotation here is, joy is the flag that is flown from the castle of our heart when the king is in residence there. All right. Third advantage of Jesus leaving. Peace. Now, I hope you're following this now. First one was love. Second was joy. Now this is peace. If you go over to Galatians chapter five, you're gonna find that the first three fruits of the spirit are love, joy, and peace. And Jesus is saying, I'm going away so the Holy Spirit can come and he's gonna bring love, joy, and peace with him. John 16, 33 these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. These things I have spoken, everything that Jesus was telling them, he was telling them this so they would have peace. And he wasn't candy coating anything. He wasn't trying to hide the fact that there would be stuff. There is stuff in life. We're all going through some stuff right now. I'm preaching to an empty auditorium because there is stuff going on right now. 
There will be things in our life that bring us tribulation. But even in the midst of that, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life brings us peace. And we begin to understand that Jesus has already overcome the world. The stuff does not get to steal our peace. Being lovely, being lovingly convinced of righteousness brings peace. The truth of God's word brings peace. Joy brings peace. And the whole Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they operate by peace. Scripture tells us that the Father brings peace. In Psalms 85, I will hear what the Lord God will say, for he will speak peace to his people. The Son brings peace. Isaiah 9, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And the Holy Spirit brings peace. Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all operating from a place of peace, bringing peace to us. Why do we need so much peace? Because of tribulation. Because of the stuff of life. It was to our advantage that Jesus left. Only Jesus could do what Jesus needed to do. And only Jesus doing what only he could do allowed him to go to the Father and sit down at his right hand and then send the Holy Spirit to us. And when the Holy Spirit came, he brought love, he brought joy, And he brought peace. Booker T. Washington understood tribulation. In 1881, when he was beginning Tuskegee Institute, he understood tribulation. There was a lack of everything. There was a lack of funds. There was a lack of facilities. There was a lack of faculty. And there was a lack of students. But being a man of faith and prayer, Booker T. Washington took it to the Lord. And in 1915, when he passed away, the school that had started with 30 students now had 1,500 students. The school that had started in a one-room shack now had a hundred fully equipped buildings. The school, when it started, only Dr. Washington was the faculty. He was the only one on staff. He was the whole faculty. But now in 1915, they had 200 faculty members teaching 
40 majors. And the school that had started with a $2,000 grant now had a $2 million endowment. Dr. Washington never lost his faith. He never lost hope. And he surely didn't allow tribulation, the stuff of life, to steal his peace. He knew the advantages of Jesus. No matter what the situation may be, Jesus is always your advantage. What do I want you to know? It was to our advantage that Jesus left. His death paved the way for the Holy Spirit to come. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel the love and the joy and the peace that comes from the spirit of truth. And what do I want you to do? I want you to stop being condemned by sin, but instead be convinced by righteousness. I want you to... I want you to begin a rich relationship with God through prayer so that your joy may be full. And I want you to stop allowing tribulation to determine your level of peace because there's always going to be something going on in life. Jesus said there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars, but this is not the end. There are always going to be something that is going on but we can stop allowing tribulation to determine our level of peace. Instead, we can take courage because Jesus has overcome the world on our behalf. That is the Jesus advantage.